We're going to take up where we left off last week. Our intent was to get through that last week, but we did not. So we will start when we left off. We did get through the first part of that text, which was the destruction of the wicked, those who have... And the, 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 the point is made so strongly by the Holy Spirit here. Those that persecute you, those that trouble you, those that murder God's children, those that murder the little children of God. You see so much in the world today going on with babies and and, and small children. All these people who are influenced of Satan or without God, they're the natural man with no chance of coming to God, and all the afflictions they put upon the children of God, they're going to pay for that. God considers it a righteous thing. All of God's ways are just and right. And all His ways are judgment. And He will judge the wicked. And we covered that last week. But today we will start in verse 10. But I will just pick it up there. Second Thessalonians 1. When He, this is Christ, shall come to be glorified in His saints and to be admired in all them that believe, because our testimony among you was believed in that day. John chapter 12. <clears throat> the Lord said, and I'm taking part of this, not all of it. He's talking about being delivered into the hands of sinful men who were religious elitists of today. Think about that now. And he was going to be taken and crucified. He prayed and he said, Father, what shall I say? Save me from this hour. And then he says, For this cause I came unto this hour. Christ the man in the body, the living Word of God, second person of the Godhead, made flesh for the suffering of death, to die our death, to have our punishment, which was so great for three hours, darkness covered the entire planet. The sun could not shine because the very Son of God was being punished for our sin, bearing the wrath of God and the judgment of God for us. Then He said, Father, glorify Thy name. And the Father replied that all could hear, catch this now, that all could hear, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. John 17. Father, the hours come, glorify thy Son that he may also glorify thee. As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to all thou hast given me eternal life. 
And He is glorified in the sacrifice that He paid upon the cross as the Lamb of God. Listen, listen. We're told in the Old Testament when God created the heaven and the earth, and we know that they were created by Jesus Christ, by the second person of the Godhead, by the living Word of God. Well, now wait a minute. Jesus wasn't there. I beg to differ. Hebrews 13 and I believe 8, Jesus Christ is saying yesterday and today and forever. He's always been what who He is and what He is and He always will be. Therefore, when God spake, Christ was there and the world was formed. And my point with that, the Old Testament we find on the day of creation that all the sons of God shouted for joy. Christ was glorified. That's the purpose of all things. We're talking about the glory of God. Christ is the express image of His person. Hebrews 1 the brightness of His glory. 1 and 3 I believe of Hebrews. Christ was glorified in creation. Christ was born into the world. Book of Luke details it. A multitude of the heavenly host. I believe personally that every angel, every creature of God and every saint of God who has died and gone before were there glorifying God and His Son praising God when He was born into the world to suffer and bleed and die. When He had laid the glory of the God head aside and was made flesh as a man to redeem us from our sins. We know that when He was taken up, I don't have time to go into this fully, but when He was taken up, He was taken up, and I've told you before, in a cloud. Paul said in Hebrews 11, speaks of a great cloud of witness. The cloud, the cloud, I believe in Him being taken up in Acts chapter 1 was the cloud of witness because all of those sons of God, and I mean male and female, who came forth from the grave after His resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared unto many. I don't believe they were, they were raised up to die again. I believe they were raised up by the power of God. They walked upon the face of this earth manifesting the power of the Son of God in creation and the resurrection of the dead for it took the same power to do both. And I believe that when He was taken up in a cloud, it was a cloud of witness and they went with Him. And Job himself, for I know that my Redeemer liveth, the latter day he shall stand upon the earth. He stood upon the earth. I believe Job said, yet in, even though the skin worms have devoured my body, destroyed my body, yet in my flesh I shall see God. I believe Job was one of those that came forth 
and ascended to glory with Christ. And the point behind me telling you all that is Christ was glorified. The Lord God Father said, I have glorified it and will glorify it again. When Christ was crucified, He was glorified. When Christ came forth from the tomb, defeating death, there were angels there and men. And angels are men. Dispel some myths there about haloed female angels. They're men. The only mention of a female that people think is an angel is in Zechariah. And they're both pagan gods. Because God is male. But my point is, Christ was glorified. Christ sits at the right hand of the majesty on high. And He is glorified as He forever maketh intercession for the saints. He's there with the glory. Return unto me the glory that I had with thee before the world was. It is returned. He's glorified. Sitting in glory at the right hand of the majesty on high. Matthew 25, 31, When the Son of Man, Christ in the flesh, shall come in His glory. You want proof He's glorified again? There it is. He shall come in His glory. God said, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. When He returns, verse 10, Thessalonians, first chapter, when He shall come to be glorified in His saints. Jude tells us, He cometh with tens of thousands of His saints. Just like At His birth, every single child of God, every promised, every blood-bought, every redeemed, everyone the Father gave Him who has died and their body is in the ground and the body shall come forth. And every single child of God will come with Him. And there are other things that will go on we see in Scripture, but they shall come with Him and their spirit will be reunited with their body, their spirit and soul. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. And Christ, the Son of God, will be glorified and what's even more will stand in eternal glory that we His children may see Him. We talked about the punishment of the wicked. They shall see Him in fear and hatred. We shall view Him because they know they cannot hide. They know that is the day of the judgment. They know that they're fallen. The Satan who rebelled against God. The angels that left their habitation, their first estate, and followed Satan. And those that God told Satan... I will separate the seed of the woman from thy seed. God promised a seed to Christ. Christ died for them. That is the seed represented in the seed of the woman. 
And the seed of Satan are those left in their own nature through Adam who fell into depravity and wickedness by disobeying God. Now, when He, the Son of Man, shall come to be glorified in His saints. Now you watch this and you think about this. We've already covered this to a degree. As in the days of Noah. Okay? Everybody is looking for a sign. These folks were looking for a sign. Mentioned last week Jonestown. You see other places where somebody declares himself a prophet, declares that he has new revelation from God, that this will be the end of the world. Christ will appear on such and such a date and time. Innocent children of God are deceived, some of them. They, they are there awaiting the coming of Christ and it does not come. It does not come. It overthrows the faith. God is greatly comforting you with the knowledge of Christ. There are no signs given. When Christ appears in His glory, glorifying the Father and the man in the flesh, Jesus Christ, appears in His glory. You lay hold on that. The man in His flesh who died upon the cross, who defeated death, hell, and Satan in the flesh of a man, the man Jesus Christ, glorified in the fullness of the glory of God, for He is God manifest in the flesh. Every single child of God, what does it say? To be admired. To be admired. We're going to be living. Some people in this world will be working. Some people will be sleeping. Some will be awake. Some will be eating a meal. Some will be doing this, that, or the other. It will come to the point, and we'll get into this when we get to the man of sin, which apparently I'm not going to get to today, but, but it will come to the point as it was in the days of Noah, that every man going to judges who did that which was right in his own eyes, and we're to that point today. And it was as it was in the days of Noah that the reprobate and the non-elect, every imagination of their heart was only evil continually. Take a point here. Take a point here. Cain slew Abel. Cain offered a sacrifice. Now the point I'm trying to make here is that Cain, even though he was not a child of God, was bringing an offering to the Lord that was taught, 
that men ought to fear God. Okay? By the time Genesis 6 and the flood came, God, Romans chapter 1, had given mankind over to a reprobate mind. That's why every thought in their heart was only evil continually. Noah found grace. You, child of God, have found grace in the eyes of the Lord. My point being, as it was in that day, given over to a reprobate mind and depravity, with no fear of God in their eyes, that's the same way it will be when Christ returns. It's the same way today. Okay? Now, a child of God, as the wicked will fear and shake with Satan and his angel, in the fear of the just judgment of God. The righteous will have a reverential fear. We have it now by faith. But this fleshly body and this nature of Adam steps in the way every step of the day and Satan gnaws at us. But when we see Him as He is, in His glory, not by faith, but by sight, we will fear, we will fall before Him in a reverential fear, knowing full well that we're worthy of the wrath of God that God has given in judgment to the wicked. But because God was pleased to set His love upon us and all the children of God, that the Son of God had laid aside that glory and come into the world and suffered and bled and died for us to save us, not from sin's past, from sin period, past, present, future. God does not see our sin eternally. And I'll go a step farther with that because we sin in this world and God punishes us. God does it in love, not anger, because God can do nothing but love you. And Christ will be there as a light the natural man cannot look at in the glory of God that we will see Him as He is. I believe He's still going to have hands with holes and feet with holes and a hole in His side. Her brother Ernie makes this point years ago. As you see Him go, He'll return in like manner. He's going to have the holes where He's crucified. Somebody says, we won't know anything in heaven. We won't remember any of this. That is foolishness. We will always know the Son of God died for us. And we will always adore, admire Him. We will admire His glory. We will admire His love, 
His person, His being, such as we've never seen before. Oh, think about glory. Think about all the children of God who are reunited with their body at that time, who took their last breath on earth and instantly took the next one in glory with Christ. Think about the sights we'll see. Think about the cherubs and the seraphims and the angels and everything in heaven, many which we, I'm sure, do not know of yet. And we're going to admire He, Him, Christ, by whom all things exist and for whom all things exist, the greater, the best. I'm going to tell you something. The best part of all of this, yes, we're going to live forever. We'll have no pain, no sorrow, no death, no sin, no sickness, no disease. Perfect joy. But the best part, the best part is so overwhelming as we shall see Him as He is. Who shall, when He shall come to be glorified in His saints, His children, and to be admired in all them that believe in that day. Now go to parentheses. And all them that believe, because our testimony among you is believed in that day. Their testimony, my testimony, nobody else's testimony has anything to do with Christ's finished work or the glory of God, or anything in the election of grace or God's purpose. Paul says this because our testimony among you is believed in that day to assure them that they will be in that number who stand in glory in heaven when Christ does appear because they believe the gospel. Because Christ sent the apostles in the first century church as He does with His ministry today to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Nothing else to you. That He saved you from your sins by His sacrifice. And that He will return to claim, to lay hold of, to bring forth that body to heaven in the air to be reunited with your spirit and your soul and so shall we be forever be with the Lord. Luke tells us when the beggar died, the angels took him to Abraham's bosom. The Abraham's bosom, the Jews believe, and he's talking to Jews, so he put it where they would understand it, that the angels took his spirit and his soul to heaven. When Christ returns for the body, 
Because He laid His body down in death for your body. Oh, the angels will be with Him, yes. But He's coming Himself to take your body from the ground or change it to be with Him. Move on. Perhaps not. Perhaps I'll say something here. It's been eating at me all week. People say, how do you know that when the wicked man dies, his soul goes to hell? Because that rich man, and being rich had absolutely nothing to do with him going to hell. Christ used a rich man to teach the Jews. And by the way, that's not a parable. This is a fact. Because they coveted money, they made this, Christ gave the betrayal of a rich man. The rich man, who's dead, who's dead now, understand that, bodies in the ground, in hell, lift up his eyes. And said, Father Abraham, he wanted them to help his brethren. Send them a message. Send them a word. Send one to them from the dead. The answer was they wouldn't believe if one came to them from the dead. It's not given to them to believe. But my point with that before moving on and finish chasing this little rabbit is that rich man was in hell. That's enough to show me what happens to those that are wicked, that murder and rape children that prey upon the innocent, those that are not gods and are considered the seed of Satan. Okay? When He shall come to be glorified in His saints and be admired in all them that believe because our testimony among you was believed in that day. There's a great promise, a great fact Wherefore also we pray always for you. This is not, oh, I hope you can stand up to it. I hope you can do it. I hope you can live right. I hope you can keep the law. I hope you can give enough money to the church. I hope you can give enough money to the ministry. You see that on TV quite a bit, don't you? This is not what this is. Paul is praying. Wherefore also we pray always for you, child of God, individual person. These happen to be in Thessalonica. That our God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, would count you worthy of this calling. Now, brethren, rightly divide the word of truth. If we stand before God, Ephesians 1 and 4, holy and without blame before God the Father in love. Scripture doesn't have to repeat itself 20 times. One thing is enough to know that, and that's my favorite place to go. If He's made us without blame before God, then He's not talking about being worthy eternally. He's talking about here in the church. That God would count you worthy of this calling. Paul said, for you see your calling, brethren. 
We're called to eternal life. It's the effectual call. It cannot be resisted. For the hour is coming and now is that the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God and they that hear shall live. Lazarus is given as an example. Christ called His name. Christ, God calls your name. He calls you to life daily. Whom it pleases Him to quicken. There's an effectual call. The call in this text is speaking of the call we talked about in the last. Oh, we hadn't got there yet, have we? No, the next chapter, the gospel call to the obtaining of the glory of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, to sit under the sound of the gospel assembly, to preaching, okay? To serve the Lord and take up your cross daily. For what purpose? That Christ be glorified by the work of God in us being manifested in what God has done. He took us from the miry clay. It's just like raising those dead over there in the cemetery, the same power, the same miracle, the same work of God, the same purpose of God, that God will be glorified. He took you from sin and death in this world and gave you life and causes you to, to walk in Christ and to serve Christ and to love Christ and to strive to fight the good fight of faith and serve Him. Wherefore also we pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of His goodness. Okay? Our prayer, and He says, in the work of faith with power. The prayer here is for an individual. The prayer is for every individual, even as a whole. Because the prayer is for the saints in Thessalonica that church is gone. That land's carried in Islam, okay? We need to pray for each other. When we get into the man of sin, if my thoughts remain the same as they have been this week, you're going to see, as we did in Revelation, how the church has moved from place to place because of various reasons. Paul is praying to them, my prayer is that God would count you worthy. That God would continue the good work which He's worked in you. That you would shine as a light in the midst of darkness. That you would be in the church. That you would sit in the sound of the gospel. That you would support the church. That you would support the ministry. And I'm going to tell you now, the biggest part of supporting the work of the ministry is to pray, to pray, to pray for the ministry. You can tell when a congregation prays. I promise you, I feel it. We pray that God would keep you in His good pleasure. Of His goodness. His pleasure is His goodness. His righteous judgment. His righteous purpose. Just as destroying those who have persecuted you. To carry you. To love you. To establish you. That you would manifest the power of Christ in being raised from the dead 
and the way that you live and the work of faith with power. I don't have to tell you faith is the fruit of the Spirit. I've said that 50,000 times and I hope to say it that many more. The work of faith. What is the work of faith? I don't save souls. I can't save myself. The work of faith first given to a minister is to study, to pray, and Ernie put this in my mind and heart so heavily, to meditate, to meditate, to meditate. I don't care if you're sitting in a recliner at 1 o'clock in the morning reading Scripture. I don't care if you're at work. I did as much thinking about the Lord when I was in a police car as I do sitting at home. You're facing the world. Your mind works. The work of faith. You're always meditating upon Scripture and prayer. And He's speaking to a congregation that you continue the work of faith. How do we work? What is the work of faith? To manifest Christ in our body. To follow Christ and turn away from the world. To not be concerned with the things of the world. This world is temporary. We just saw above this what's going to happen to this world and all the wicked. I don't care if they're presidents, czars, kings, or who they are. Or if they're some perverted degenerate that will never see God who climbs into someone's window in the middle of the night. An evil person. We've already seen what God is going to do with that. Vengeance is mine, said the Lord, I will repay. Our work of faith is to humbly walk with God as we've gone through, living quiet, peaceful lives, worshiping God on the Lord's day, and trying and striving to follow Him every day of the week with every breath we take. Why is it so precious? For this small congregation to be here on the Lord's Day. Because we love each other. My heart smiles and glows inside. And that is because Christ is here with us and loves us. The work of faith with power. We have the same power with us that is the power of creation, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. People make Him such a poor, helpless being. You've got to help Him. You've got to make a choice. People make up such stupid things. They draw this picture of the Lord with hair down His backside like a hippie in 1965. When the Bible itself teaches you it's a shame for a man to have long hair. I had long hair. Young people wear it, got no problem with it. They'll grow out of it. But the point being, the Lord didn't have long hair because it's a shame for a man to have long hair. Then you look in the history of the day and you find Pilate writing history about him. His hair was short. It was dark auburn. Bible truth. And the work of faith and power, that's the power of God, that the name of our Lord... These are things Satan puts in front of you. Blasphemous things to turn your faith to doubt. To cast fear in your heart. Put the Bible together. First John, remember there? Perfect love hath no fear. God loves us perfectly. 
We are to love God and each other in the way that He loves us. If we walk with God close, closer, strive to every day, none of us are going to attain perfection. We'll be in a sinful body till we die and we're none of us going to be perfect or even good of our own. But when we walk close to the Lord, we stand closer in perfect love and we have no fear. Satan cannot take that away. When we come to sit under the sound of gospel preaching, if that's what this is, every Lord's Day, then we learn of Christ and therefore our fear is taken away. We learn of the Creator of heaven and earth. We learn of the Lord of lords. We learn of the King of kings. And our fear is taken away. For Satan is a created being and even though he's the most powerful being that God created, he is nothing before God. That the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you. Thank you, Lord, for the rain. In you. There's a person. There's a person. There's an individual person. I'm not an Armenian. But I'm going to tell you this. He is your Savior, personally. He chose you. He saved you. He walked with you daily. He carries you daily. Easy times, He gives you. Hard times, He brings you through daily. That Christ may be glorified in you. I could tell you tales from my experiences. This is not the place from work and things that happened where I was saved, where I was spared, where Christ was with me. You stand in a prison with 1,100 men that want to kill you and are approaching you and telling you they're going to kill you after they abuse you. You begin to learn that God, that Christ is with me, okay? You begin to know. I'm sure soldiers in foxholes have had far worse experiences they could tell. That's why I'm so glad to get on the streets. At least I had a pistol. But I had Christ with me, and that was evident. He's with all of His children, with the promise. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. And the point pertaining to this text, Christ is glorified in that. We're going to talk about the man of sin eventually. We're going to talk about the conditions involved eventually. We're going to talk about how small the church is and how God's people are scattered eventually. But you understand this. This little light that shines from the true church of God, and it is in other denominations, let's not get self-righteous, shines as a light in darkness. This light has gotten very small of late, but it shines nonetheless. For Christ is with us, and in that He is glorified in you.
and ye in him. See if I can quote it. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, firstborn, the firstborn among many brethren, moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. Whom he called, them he also justified. Whom he justified, them he also glorified. You stand, well, let me go the last part first. You will stand in heaven and immortal glory in a body that's perfect and holy, made like unto His glorious body. God will raise the same body up and it will be perfect without sin. And you will be glorified in the righteousness of Christ forever and ever and ever. We can't fathom that in these human fleshly minds. But while you live in this world, let me justify He also glorified. When you walk with Christ, when you turn away from the world, when the world hates you, did you see the speech this week? I didn't. I've heard about it. Oh, the good people's fault. And I'm not talking about Republicans. They're as evil as Democrats. Many of them do nothing to stop these things. I'm talking about evil hating good. You see it in government. They hate us. They attack us. Everything's our fault. We can't do this. We can't bring everybody down to this level because these people stop it. And God is with them. Does that sound like Egypt? Their God is with them. But my point in all that, that as we're walking with God, we are glorified in Christ because Christ is magnified through us as we live. Okay? That Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in Him. How did this happen? (laughs) You had nothing to do with it. For it is God which worketh in you both to do and will of His good pleasure according to the grace of our God, loved you with unmerited love and favor, and the Lord Jesus Christ. By the grace. What's it called again? The election of grace. God's grace upon those He loves. Loves. God's grace upon those He chose. God's grace upon His people. God's grace upon those He gave to His Son. God's grace upon those His Son died for and rose up for and will stand in heaven in immortal glory with Him. Beginning chapter 2. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto Him. Beseech means to beg, okay? We beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know He's coming. He is coming. That cannot be stopped. He will return. He will gather His people. He will take us to glory forever. We know that it's going to happen. It's in Scripture. 
God has written it upon your heart. That's why your soul and spirit cry, Abba, Father. And you hear it preached through the Gospel. You know this is true. But be not soon shaken in your mind or be troubled neither by spirit. <clears throat> Try the spirits. They're not all of God. Try the spirits. Listen. We're going to cover a few more things here. Put all this together. Listen. Judge by the Spirit. Jesus said, judge the tree by its fruit. If the tree bears evil fruit, the tree is wicked. Let's take the ministry and some of these folk in TV. Well, I need a million dollars to go save these people and a two million to go save these people and all this. Their God is their belly. Their hirelings, they preach for money. Try the Spirit. That is not the Spirit of God. That is the Spirit of greed. The Spirit of Satan. If it is not of God, it is of Satan. Period. Cut and dry. Try the spirits. Do they preach Christ? Or through deception of Satan, do they preach, help the Lord, He's a beggar, He's weak. Do they preach, there's no judgment of the wicked? Try the spirits. Read the Scripture. Study the Scripture. God's Word is plain to a child of God. It's given to you to understand and hear and to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. God sends men. There's another trial of spirits. Men to preach the gospel to His people to bring life and immortality to light. To comfort you. Try the spirits. Don't be troubled by spirit. Nor by word, okay? <clears throat> you can go back to the writings of the day of Scripture. Now I full well believe, let me state this to start with, I full well believe that the God that created heaven and earth <laughs> with a spoken word and nothing else is full well capable of preserving the Scripture that He gave to be recorded. I don't need to read the books in the Catholic Bible that were written between Malachi and Matthew because God told us after Malachi there would be no prophet unto Christ. That teaches me those books are heresy. Or lies. I don't need to read the book of Enoch, which tells us that angels came down and bred with flesh, and giants were born unto them, because we know the scripture, first of all, we know that's not possible. Spiritual things cannot mate with fleshly natural beings. The only time, the only way that is possible is with the Holy Spirit. 
of God. And we know by studying Genesis that the sons of God were the sons of Abel who lived upon the top of the mountain. They saw the sons of men which were of the daughters of men which were the descendants of Cain. Make sure I'm not saying Esau. Descendants of Cain. And they came down and took them wives of the beautiful daughters of Cain and that was a great, grave mistake because God had separated them. But my point being, don't be deceived by word. In 16.11, God moved men, including the King James of England, He brought together religious scholars and, what's the word? I like to say Miss Holt, my English teacher. But theologians and educated people in language together to diligently compare the Greek and the Hebrew text, some of it in Arabic. To translate the Scripture into the English language. Coincidentally, in 1610, Jacob Arminius brought forth the lie, the heresy, that all you got to do is call on the Lord. It's universal salvation. Anyone can be a child of God. That was considered heresy in that day. He was excluded from the church and it's worldwide accepted this day because Satan has been busy deceiving. But my point is God gave us the Scripture in the 1611 to an English-speaking people. Where does this go back to? Do you remember Laban? Do you know what the word Laban means bright, white, Gentile. God has given this. Oh, go call me nasty names. I hear it now. I'm not telling you thoughts of men. I'm telling you what the Bible teaches. It's not just white people. There's black people involved. There's Orient. I don't like that word. Asian people. That's what they like. Asian because that's where they're from. Indian and every race of man. Every every people. Every family. But the point being behind the King James, God gave it through His Spirit to an English-speaking people and it's been here since that time. We're out of time I'll take up here next week. But I'll say this, we don't need the New Living Way. We don't need the modern translations. We need the Word of God. We'll talk about the letter next week. And then we'll get into the man of sin.